This is Buffalo, What's Next? I'm Jay Moran. I'm Bridget Jai Paul Valenza. And I'm Dave DeBoat. If ever there was an issue that demands more discussion now, the racist massacre at Tops Friendly Markets on May 14th is it. Um, you know, America has a long, deep, rich history of racism brutalizing black communities. But where does it go from here? What does our community need? We must work and teach our children. What issues just aren't being addressed? As long as we keep doing the same thing, we're just sitting ducks for the next mass shoot. That's all you can say. This is a new program. Every weekday, we'll set aside this hour to hear from the community about issues that can no longer be held back. We need to make a concerted effort in our nation, in our institutions, and yes, in our family. Thank you for joining us. I'm host Bridget Jaipal Valenza. Coming up later, Dave Debo will be with Jolanda Hill from Colored Girls Bike 2. But first, I'm here with Executive Director of Open Buffalo, Franchelle Parker. Franchelle, thank you for thank joining you. us. Thank you for having me. Um, it, it has been a time. Mm-hmm. It has been a mm-hmm. Difficult, difficult time. How how are you? Terrible. Terrible. Um, I, in my body, in my mind, for, I would say, the first few weeks, it, it literally just felt like shell shock. When um, I think about, like, the war movies, when a bomb goes off right next to a soldier's ear, and you know they're they're bobbing back and forth. Their sight is blurry. That's literally how I felt in my spirit for the last few weeks. It's starting to settle now, but I I literally felt like I was experiencing shell shock. I mean that's that's trauma. That is trauma. Mm-hmm. You were telling me earlier that on the fourteenth. You had some place to go. There was something that you wanted to do. Talk to me about that day. Yeah. Um, well, our the Open Buffalo office is right next door to Tops. Uh, I was I was on my way to the office to clear off my desk. I hadn't had a chance to clear off old coffee cups throughout the week. It sounds <laughs> mm-hmm. disgusting, but that's what I was doing. I was on my way to the office um, just to clear off my desk, put some light and plants on my desk, um, run over to Tops, grab a unsweetened iced tea uh, for for my morning, and that's what happened. Um, so I was, I was literally on my way down to Jefferson. I can't even begin to imagine how, you know, we were, we were talking about routines and, and how everybody is in their, their routine. Yeah. And, you know, just really going about daily life. Um, it's not like anyone was doing any extraordinary thing. They simply were going grocery shopping. Yeah. A, a part of my, my daily routine, our, our office is 13 27 Jefferson, but my my daycare is 1100 Jefferson. Um, my, my two babies, Malia and Kennedy, are right between. It's Open Buffalo Office, Tops, the daycare. 
So that is a part of my routine, dropping my babies off before I go to work. Mm -hmm. And to just think that this person or persons have been stalking where my babies go to daycare. Um, It makes me think about, like, what is my daily routine still safe? Right. Yeah. And there's there's that that fear. I mean, there is just inherent fear. You were also telling me that you had had um, had organized a bit of a, a talk about community leaders and mm-hmm. um, and safety. Tell me a little bit about what has come out of that and what what happened to precipitate that. Yeah. Um, so through the Oshai Foundation, um, we convene. Um, community conversations for leaders of color, um, specifically nonprofit leaders, uh, not necessarily executive leadership. Um, Anyone can be a leader within an organization. So um, understanding what are the specific needs of leaders of color kind of gave gave the beginnings to having these these conversations. And this was the first time that we had convened in person in a while, but um, especially after uh, May 14th. And we talked about safety. What does and for for most of us, um, we we felt like our safety had been uprooted. Um, one conversation in, or one question in particular, uh, I asked a group, "When was when was a time that you you felt safe in your life, and what did that look like for you?" And about half of the room said that they had never experienced safety mm. in their life. And we all had to sit with that for a minute. You know, I think some of us were like, okay, you know, even if it's I haven't felt safe since I was six years old with my grandfather. But to for about half of nonprofit leaders of color in the room to have never experienced a sense of safety in their life uh, should be disheartening as a community, as a nation, as a region. Um, so that was, for me, that was very startling. Absolutely, absolutely, and certainly unexpected. I mean, yeah, yeah. you would think at some point in time, but yeah. but never, never. Uh, and there are still there are people, certainly in the community, who still don't feel safe mm-hmm. leaving their houses, um, you know, there's something to be said about maybe being elderly or being infirm slightly or, you know, needing assistance. Um, talk to me about some of the, the outreach that has to happen when, when that occurs. Yeah. Um, so we we also have to understand, like, we can't just push a community, like, we have to get back to normal. We have to get back to our routine. No, we've experienced a, a racial massacre in our backyard. Like it's going to take some time. It's going to take some time on the individual organization and then as a community to heal and get back. And maybe we'll never get back to normal. Maybe we don't want to get back to normal. Maybe something different is manifested. Um, But as, as a community, we just, we just have to love each other. And that means making sacrifices for each other, um, checking on your neighbors, 
checking on your aunties. Are you are you good? Mm-hmm. Do you have what you need at the house? If you if you can't or you don't want to leave the house today, you shouldn't have to. You have an entire village of people that are willing to support you and love you. So not only as individuals do we need to check on our people, we also have to be confident enough to ask for help when we need it. To be able to reach out to your village and say, hey, like, I I can't. I can't today. Can you help me? And, you know, how do we develop systems like that? to develop new safety nets because our safety has been eroded. So we have to, as a community, we have to create our own. I think it's important for people to understand, and I've said this before um, on the program, it's yeah. okay to not be okay. Yeah, and for sure, for to, sure. To further that, it's also okay to ask for help. That doesn't diminish a person. No one's diminished by asking for help. And in fact, it, it shows courage and a certain amount of fortitude and strength to understand that about yourself, right? But we have to be encouraged to do so because that's not a part of the dominant narrative. Mm-hmm. The dominant narrative, especially in black communities, you're resilient. Your, you know, black girl magic. You know, we are magical, (laughs) but we can't continuously take gut punch after gut punch after gut punch and expect us to bounce back. But even as young children, it is instilled in us that you are tough. You can do it. You can push through. Even if you're by yourself, you can do it. Um, No, we can't. We need help. We need help. And so, like, how do we shift that narrative that, yes, we are resilient and we are magical, but we also need help. And it's okay to ask for help and to expect help, to expect that help is coming. Yes. Um, On Open Buffalo's website, Mm -hmm. it says that Open Buffalo stands steadfast to our commitment to achieve racial equity in Buffalo. That means that families can afford to feed ourselves, we aren't living in a state of constant fear, and that we can actually have joy in our daily lives. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? Mm. What does what does joy look like? Um, I think that's an individual question right Mm -hmm. um for for some of us joy is being able to afford to take a day off of work and going to get your hair done if that's what you want to do um joy is not feeling the pressure to work 15 hours a day and spending some time with your children Joy is being able to actually enjoy the rich art and culture of this community and not just continuously drive past it, that you have time to actually enjoy it. Um, And so there's I I think that there's there's a lot of conversation around what the east side needs in particular. Um, There's a lot of initiatives that are starting, but for Open Buffalo, racial equity means that not only are we receiving services, so to speak, but that we are the driver of what comes to our community. 
And that is the root of the work that we're doing. How do we get our people to decision-making tables? You are training advocates. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. Yes. Um, Tell me about that. Tell yeah. me about that. Um, we we have a multi-tier leadership development program starting at age 14. Um, that is our youth action program. Um, the, the point in youth action is that, um, again, young people know what type of programs, the problems that they face in their communities, um, they have the solutions. They have the solutions. So how do we how do we get to them to the table, train them and then kick the door open so that they can go in and be their own advocates? And we're there as support. We provide mentorship access. Um, but we're not I'm not at the table saying, hey, this is what my young people need. I'm standing behind them, supporting what they need. So that's that's one of the entry points in our leadership development pipeline. Uh, we also have the Emerging Leaders Program. Uh, since 2015, we've graduated over uh, 130 emerging leaders. They're they're doing incredible work all across all across the country. Now, some are working in government, um, some have started not-for-profits, some have run, run for political office. So really, like, how do we infuse new, innovative, passionate leaders at every level of leadership? Um, fast food workers, lawyers, teachers, nurses, um, people that come from all sectors. Uh, we we believe that we need a network of impacted and disinvested community leaders um, to help drive the change, e- even before May 14th. But it was incredibly awesome to see so many emerging leaders out on Jefferson just doing their own thing. Hey, what do you need? Uh, one of our leaders, uh, Razia, uh, works at or founded Every Bottom Covered <laughs> and dropping off loads, truckloads of diapers to make sure that our community members have what they need. Um, so they're leading within Open Buffalo, uh, within their own organizations, but then also all across the region, just doing phenomenal, phenomenal work. You're listening to Buffalo, What's Next? I'm host Bridget Jaipal-Valenza. Today, we're here with Franchelle Parker, Executive Director of Open Buffalo. There's a lot right now going on in terms of what the city of Buffalo looks like uh, and what its certain sections are called. Mm. Um, How do you feel about... East Buffalo versus the East Side. Sheesh. Um, That's controversial now. Uh, (laughs) I never in a thousand years would have thought that that was um, controversial, but it is. So um, a a few, maybe four or five years ago, um, Alex Wright and the African Heritage Food Co-op, he did a TED Talk on East Buffalo. And why he was choosing not to call the east side the east side, but East Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And it was it was powerful. It's been ingrained in me to say the east side, but I would try to catch myself um, and say east side. Oh, no, 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 no. I mean, East, east Buffalo. Buffalo. I mean, East <laughs> Buffalo. <laughs> so um, I, I can't say that I've completely transitioned. Um, but um, now that it's become um, politicized, um, my my question is, who is driving the rebranding? If we look at how our communities, especially um, enslaved people, how our names and our identities have been stripped from us. Um, if we choose to call ourselves something different, that's what we choose. But we cannot allow um, outside entities or even political entities to rebrand us. Um, we've seen throughout history how um, especially disinvested and communities of color have been rebranded. There was um, there was an attempt to rebrand uh, the the fruit belt into medical park, mm-hmm. uh, and fruit belt residents said, uh-uh, <laughs> "No, no, no! We are the fruit belt. We are not medical park." So um, I think we just we need to be um, careful in how we protect our own culture, our identity, and if we choose to switch up. Um, my my mother and my grandmother were African-American. I identify as black, right? So, you know, cultures and identities, there's ebbs and flows to it. But as long as we are making the choice and what we want to be called, I'm okay with it either way. Let's talk about racism. Mm. Specifically systemic Racism. Okay. <clears throat> there is still some debate about its existence. Uh, what do you say to people who feel it doesn't exist? And what examples would you give them to say, well, here it is? Ooh. Um, it's, it's almost, I mean, because, geez. <laughs> 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 that's my trigger, that's my trigger. <laughs> but um but but seriously um when we when we talk about um racism um in our um we we offer a race power privilege tra- uh, training program so that um individuals understand um what racism is what it isn't right many times we get caught at the surface level of understanding racism right mm-hmm. it's the um it's the uncle at holidays that still uses the n-word right right um and you know we're we're ashamed of them and sometimes we are sometimes we're not right but many times like um it's that level of understanding it's it's the george floyd videos it's the constant uh, social media uh, videos of innocent black and communities of color being attacked by law enforcement, right? And that is what we visualize. But I push people to under to try to understand um, what aren't you seeing in this moment. Let's look at the outcomes and how did we get there. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that 86% of black people live on the east side of Buffalo didn't just happen, right? Like, I, I enjoy living with and 
socializing with my people, but that it didn't just happen that way. Right. Uh-huh. We have a system of disinvestment, a system of a highway being implanted directly through a black neighborhood. We have a system of redlining that has concentrated our people in communities of uh, toxic land and toxic soil, concentrating in uh, communities of crime. That's that's not naturally occurring. So what has gotten us to this point? Um, Policies have. Right. And so um, when we're looking at uh, interpersonal racism, that's that's important and that needs to be addressed. But here and now we're talking about the system that was in place. And um, for for a lot of folks, I think that that um, that they should sigh a breath of relief. Right. That we're not we're not talking about the uncle. Right. So you can you can breathe <laughs> you easy can, for a minute. Stand down for right? on the uncle for but, a second. So, you know, we're not pointing fingers at you. We're not asking you to if you want to donate. Great. But we're not asking you to personally give up your pension plan. Right. And a lot of times when we talk about system, systemic racism, people think about the personal sacrifice that they need to make, that you're going to take my job for me and give it to an immigrant. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's complicated when we're talking about how do we peel back the layers of the onion to really understand what's at the root of uh, systemic racism. And I would argue at the root of systemic racism is one capitalism. And um, public policy. Mm-hmm. So, how do we start to unravel some of the impacts of capitalism and exploiting and oppressing people of color, especially Black people, in this community? Understanding what are what are those policies that we can change, both within our institutions, but also within the the government levels as well. I recently read an article about how saying the words white privilege stops conversations mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, on racism, equality, equity. How do you how do you feel about that? I, I think that it's been um, politicized so much. Um, I I personally use the the term um, unearned social benefits, um, and we get to the exact same place, right? But it doesn't stop the conversation for a lot of for a lot of white people. It stops the conversation before we can even dive into it, right? And so finally, like once we get to a place, um, many people can understand the principles and the foundation of white privilege without shutting down the conversation. So if we have to remix it in order to really get people to sit at the table and talk about it, we can remix it. We can rebrand it. That's that's fine. But we have to have the conversation. We have to understand that there's certain communities that have unearned social benefits. If the narrative of um, the of American culture is really like bootstrap and individualism and, you know, I advance because I work hard, uh, not necessarily. Like if we talk about generational wealth, 
and the the benefits that some community members experience because of that, um, we have to talk about that. And um, so for me, even if we don't use the term white privilege, we still have to talk about the foundational principles of what white privilege is. How about white guilt and white tears? Um, we have had a, a few guests come on who say they, they have no, no use for these things. They have no use for white guilt or white tears. They want white action. What do you say to that? Um, well, h- however people experience their emotions, I'll say, experience them. Mm-hmm. But don't allow your guilt or your tears. One, don't bring all your emotions on me because I'm dealing with my own emotions. Um, don't uh, so don't don't do that. But um, you have to allow your emotions to drive you towards action. Mm-hmm. And there are don't feel hopeless. Right. There are concrete things that you can do in order to move our entire community forward. So it's great. Thank you for your tears and your emotion and all the other stuff that you're doing. But what else? And we have to ask that very uncomfortable question of what else are you doing? What are you doing in your family? What are you doing in your neighborhood? What are you doing within your organizations and your businesses? Um, And typically that's not what a lot of people want to do. Like they want to talk about their emotional impact, how they're feeling in the moment, maybe, maybe put something on social media and then that's it. (laughs) No, no, no. Have you, have you called your legislatures about gun reforms or public policy? Um, Are you, are you volunteering for a black led organization on the east side of Buffalo in a meaningful way? Um, Are you putting resources and creating space within your powers, within your power and within your institution in order to make meaningful connections? There's things that you can do. So cry, grieve, mourn. We're all doing that. We're all doing that. But that can't be all that you're doing. That's what a good ally looks like, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, we all need allies. No, no one person or one group can make institutional and systemic change for sure. Yeah, by themselves. So yes, we all need allies, but we we want our allies to to be more like active <laughs> versus passive. Um. Yeah, yeah. Uh, For me, uh, love is an action word, right? So you can say that you love me, and that's great. I may or may not believe you. But what are you willing to sacrifice Mm -hmm. for what you love? So if you're not not sacrificing anything, um, I question if you really, really love our people and our communities. so that's that's one piece. And then the um, the second piece um, is that we should be asking our allies to do some internal work before they show up. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means doing some research, understanding the the microaggressions that you're bringing into the space. Um, our communities are still grieving like we can't necessarily walk you through every single step but there are resources that are available there's an incredible 
TED Talks and podcasts and do do the research. Really understand where your own implicit bias is. Um, and it's rooted in all of us, right? So you have to understand that before you can truly, truly show up as an ally. Why do you think that people become overwhelmed with that? Is it that they're, they're in their own feelings and they, they do need to experience empathy, but then sort of, again, look, look outward? Um, because it doesn't feel good. And we are, especially in 2022, we are addicted to feeling good. Um, we want to be pat, patted on the back at every step of, of a journey. Um, we want to be congratulated and put it in and put into the spotlight and limelight. Um, but understanding your own racist practices, um, understanding systemic racism, um, many times it means that you have turned a blind eye in the past. So there's some there's some inherent guilt there that people are are working through um it's and you know once you um it's like like the matrix right like once you've gone through that right <laughs> you you operate different right and um many times it will cause you to um need to shift relationships um and and that's not that's not comfortable either right once you've been exposed to what systemic and institutional racism looks like um your friend circle might change uh maybe maybe i don't invite my sister over for holidays right uh -huh. and so you know those are those are very uncomfortable so even as we make our own uh journey through anti-racism um we need a our own support systems right so um, don't just go through this journey by yourself. You you need to find a new woke crew that's going to roll with you through uh, through this journey. And they're out there and in this community. Um, you can come to Open Buffalo. Um, we'll we'll hook you up with a crew that can walk <laughs> through this journey because it's difficult. It's difficult and it hurts. Yeah, for sure. Are you tired? Oh, I'm exhausted. Yeah. I am exhausted. I'm exhausted. It's exhausting work. I mean, always, always with this. How, how do how do you recoup? How do you recharge? What do you do? Mm. Um, I um, I serve a amazing and wonderful God that um, when when I seek him, he refuels me. Um, and that needs to be a bigger discipline for myself. Um, I, I haven't been to church like I used to before COVID, you know, mm. like now I'm like a, a Facebook watcher. <laughs> <laughs> so how do we create uh, new ways of recharging our ourselves? Um, I have to be innovative. I have new podcasts that I listen to um, from Sarah Jakes Roberts and T.D. Jakes that continuously, even if it's 15 minutes in between meetings, um, that I'm able to refuel myself spiritually 
that's that's important um and then making sure even though i'm a busy ed uh, making sure that i'm carving out the necessary time for my two beautiful babies <laughs> um and ken ken parker um you know and like i i have a i have seven sisters and two brothers right making time for all of my siblings and you know it's it's tough it's tough, but it's um, we are our communities are at war, and if we don't properly refuel ourselves and understand what actually refuels us, doing that, taking the time to understand what it is, right. um, that we're we're no good to anybody. And that looks different for for each person, mm-hmm. certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what, and works differently for each person, and also takes different amounts of time. Yeah. for people um it's that that self care that you have to understand certainly about yourself um but figuring that out that takes time as well that is that that self reflection right um and feeling as though you are able to know yourself mm, and know that's so your hard it's so hard it is a very very difficult thing uh it's that introspection. Uh, and sometimes when you do that, you may not like all the things that you see. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it takes strength to be able to change some of that. Yeah. And to, to be able to um, work through that so that you can be of service to others. Thank you, Franchelle Parker, Executive Director of Open Buffalo, for joining us today. A fantastic conversation. We appreciate you, and we appreciate the work that you do. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you.